This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're continuing a series of messages that we've called Community, uh, Made for It, Work for It. And so for the last two weeks, we've explored how God created us for community. If you were here last Sunday, uh, thank you, first of all, for coming on a holiday weekend. Uh, You're the real MVP. And secondly, you enjoyed what Angie and I enjoyed was hearing from our new associate pastor, Mike Bowie. Um, If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back. Mike has over 40 years of pastoral ministry experience. And I, I told Angie, like, really kind of any sermon series we do, I probably need to give Mike a week and just say, tell us what to do from your perspective. Um, Because you you just need to hear at times people's voice of wisdom. And so Mike is kind of serving in that fatherly or grandfatherly role for some of us. But uh, generally, anytime somebody's done something for 40 years, you should listen to them, right? Unless they've like been in jail for 40 years. Otherwise though, like you should listen to them. I mean, that's, that's a message I recently turned 40 and that's a message I've been giving my kids a lot of, I'm a man, I'm 40, like listen to me, do what I say, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and so um, today though, we're going to keep going down the road of you were created for community. You were made for community. This is how God designed you. It's the life Jesus enables for you. Um, And then next week, we're going to transition for a couple weeks into what it looks like to work for community and how we have a responsibility to live the life that Jesus has made possible for us. But today, our focus is going to be on taking our place in Christ-centered community. What I want to spend some time doing is kind of helping us understand the difference between Christ-centered community and other lesser forms of imitation community that the enemy tries to tell us are the same thing and tries to distract us to invest our time, energy, and resources in at the expense of the true life that's found in Christ-centered community. And and then just in case you're already deciding, hey, this isn't for me, uh, we're going to finish this morning with some promises from the scriptures about how Christ-centered community is for all of us, and we all take our place in it. Our our scriptures for today are Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. If not, it'll be here on the screen for you. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is one of the leaders of the early church. He travels around uh, his known world at that time, planting churches. And a big part of what Paul does when he plants churches is he always wants people to know this is who Jesus is and what he accomplished for you. And now that you've become a follower of Jesus, this is how you take your place in the community of believers. So letters like Ephesians are letters written to local churches, just like you and I, who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And and what we're going to see today is in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul teaches us that we are created for community. Sin has ruined that experience, and Jesus comes to restore it and enable us to walk in it. So we'll start Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so what's Paul telling us? He's telling us a couple things. First of all, Paul lives with the ideas that we talked about two weeks ago of as men and women, we are created in the image of God. 
And to be created in the image of God is to be created for community. So I was made not just to live with Jesus. I was made to live with other believers. You were made not just to have a personal relationship through Jesus with God, but you were made to have meaningful relationships with other believers. Now, where Paul is picking up the story here is he's telling us, listen, sin has come and it's messed up everything. And so we see in Genesis, when sin shows up, it messes up our relationship with God and it messes up our relationship with other people. As you read through the Old Testament, God is starting this restoration process of bringing all of humanity back into a relationship with him. Ultimately, that process will culminate in a person, in Jesus Christ. But before Jesus comes, God's restoration process is taking place through a people. And so what Paul is telling us is it's always been God's plan for his people to live together in community and for that community to serve as a light in the darkness to people who do not know him. And yet Paul reminds us, he says, before you came to Christ, you were on the outside. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. So he's reminding us, just like he's reminding the Ephesians, that because we were not born as Jewish men and women, we were born outside of the covenant. We were born outside of the promise. Now, there was a way for non-Jewish people to come into the nation of Israel, but it was not easy, and it could be actually kind of painful, right? And we don't have time to get into all of that today other than to say, Thank you, Jesus, right? We're not there anymore. And so Paul's telling us, look, at one point you were created to be part of God's people, sin ruined that, and then you were left on the outside. In fact, listen to the words he uses to describe us without Jesus. Separate, excluded, foreigners to the covenant, without hope, and without God. God created us to know him and walk with him. He created us to know each other and walk with each other. He made you to be part of his plan in someone else's life. And he made me to do the same. And yet sin has come and it has not only warped our hearts, our appetites and our behaviors, but it has warped our relationships with each other and with God. And now without Christ, we are forever on the outside looking in. Our needs for community will always be unfulfilled until we submit and surrender our lives to Jesus. And this is what Paul tells us. He says, but in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, God's plan was for you to live in community with him and with each other. Sin came and ruined that completely. God started a process to restore people to himself through the nation, the people of Israel. And now through Christ, he has opened the borders. He's thrown open the doors. And now we have all been brought near to God through the relationship that Jesus offers to us. But in addition to that, we have also been brought near to each other. So what that means is there is not a person in the room, online, or in the kingdom of God who has been left on the outside. When we receive new life in Christ, we are receiving an invitation into Christ-centered and Christ-sustained community. You are designed to find deep and meaningful relationships. And in our context, the primary way and place we experience Christ-centered community is in the local church. It's where we are gathered for one purpose, for one reason, and where we lay aside all of those other differences and come to be reminded, I belong to you and you belong to me because we belong to Christ. 
Christ-centered community is bound on, is built on him, is bound together by him, and is sustained by him through every season and struggle that we go through. Now that the enemy is aware of God's plan for community, and also aware that he cannot compete with God's plan for community. There is no other form of community in the world that has the staying power of Christian community. There's no other community in the world that has a strong, unshakable foundation like Christian community. There is no other community in the world that can bind men and women from diverse backgrounds and personalities and interests together into one body like Christian community. And because the enemy understands this, his desire is to keep you out of it no matter what. Now, he can't offer you a replacement, so instead he offers you imitations. And they're imitations that look like the real thing. They feel like the real thing. They have some characteristics of the real thing, but they always leave you lacking. I don't know if, if any of you have any experience with imitation goods or knockoff products. Um, when, when I was growing up, my, my dad was a pastor, and so we would go on a lot of missions trips to Mexico. And we would build churches and, and interact with other believers, and it was always really encouraging. But the last thing we would do before we would leave is we would always stop at the market in Juarez. And the market in Juarez was full of knockoff goods, right? Like, I, I don't know if you've been on a mission trip and didn't come back with some fake sunglasses. I don't think you went on a mission trip. Like, it's just part of the process. You have to have some Folkleys when you come back that you just put on. You feel really cool. I remember my mom, um, she, she had this uh, ladies of a certain age. You might remember 20-ish, 30 years ago, there was this brand of purse that was really popular that had a little duck head on it. Uh, called, I was informed in the first service, called Dooney and Burke. Uh, and my mom had a Fooney and Furk. Uh, you know, like the duck head faced the wrong way, and you weren't sure, is that actually a duck? Is that a robin? Like, you didn't really know, but it was, it was close enough from a distance. And, and that's what imitation goods are, right? They, from a distance, they, they appear to be the real thing. I have a, a buddy who has a, a friend who had uh, played basketball overseas. And so he had this hookup that he would tell us about of like, hey, I can get you, you half-price Nikes. Like, great, because the only thing I love more than Nikes are half-price Nikes. Like, get, get me some of those, please. And so, so he, um, he got them and gave them our size, and they were half-price, all right, and, and they looked good in the package. And, and it, but, but then when I got them and I put them on, I, I quickly figured out, like, the sizing was off. The insole was kind of like a, just a, a wavy, it just wasn't comfortable, right? Like you, you felt like I'm, I'm going to be permanently disabled if I wear these more than two hours at a time. And, and what was it? it they, they obviously were not the real thing. And you could start to look and you could see it. And, and so this is what the enemy does. He comes and, and instead of saying you're not made for community, he knows he can't deny that desire in our hearts. So instead he just says, here's some imitation community. Here's some things that are almost as close. Now, now here's where we fall for it. If you've never had the real thing, then you think the imitation is the real thing. And, and so you, you know this in your life. Like our culture is full of alternative versions of something that was perfectly fine by itself, right? Like I, I don't know. Anybody tried cauliflower rice? <laughs> Better question. Anybody tried cauliflower rice twice? Like, no, you, some of you, you're like, some of you, you've, you've drank the Kool-Aid. You're like, it tastes just as good. If you put enough sauce on it, you can't, it's not it, right? It's not it. God made rice and rice is good. God made cauliflower and cauliflower is bad. 
And we, we, cannot, we cannot, if you're a cauliflower f- farmer, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll pray for you, but I'm not supporting you. Uh, like, you, just, you. You don't do these things. And yet, even though in all of life, we recognize when I experience the real thing, I don't fall for the wrong thing. Many people, even Christians at times, fail to experience the fullness of Christ-centered community because we give our time, energy, attention, and schedules to lesser forms of imitation community. So what I want to do is I just want to walk you through real quick three forms of imitation community that the enemy comes and uses to try to distract us and occupy us to keep us out of Christ-centered community. Now, before we jump into these, I want to tell you, uh, there is nothing inherently sinful about any of these three types of community we're going to talk about. In, In fact, as I evaluated my life this week, I found I am currently involved in all three forms of community that I'm going to warn you about today. Now, on their own, they're fine, but if you allow them to take the place of Christ-centered community, that's where they become damaging to your soul. So the the first characteristic, the first type of imitation community that, that we see in our culture especially is shallow community, where we have believed the lie that because we know a little about a lot of people, we have community. And, in, and social media is probably the, the primary fuel for this. If, if you were to go home after church today, because you, you definitely wouldn't do it daring church, but if you were to go home and, and scroll through your social media friends or contacts list, whatever they call them on whatever platform you're on, what you will find is, is depending on how often you're on there, you have anywhere from dozens to hundreds to thousands to some of you probably tens of thousands of people that you follow, that you're in contact with, that you see pictures of their family, you hear stories about their life, you know the kinds of food that they like to eat, the places they like to travel, the teams that they cheer for, and the politicians that they vote for. And all of that information deceives us into thinking we know each other. But that shallow kind of social media relationship is not real community. Instead, it's just, I know stuff about you and you know stuff about me, but only the things that I have deemed worthy of public consumption. You know, and and so it's a, a very kind of curated view of myself that you're getting and a curated view of you that I'm getting. And and it stays very shallow, but it's not just social media, really kind of any environment where you know a lot about a, a lot or a little about a lot of people, there's a potential for shallow community. So shallow community can occur at school, it can occur at work, it can occur in church. You can come to Christian chapel, you can come to Christian chapel for months or years, and you can look all around the room and recognize all kinds of faces and know a few names and know a a few stories and still have very shallow community. Christ-centered community is always deep. Christ-centered community is always a place where others know you, not just on the surface, but deeper in your soul where they celebrate your successes with you and they mourn your losses with you. And so, so there's a couple ways you can evaluate how is my community? What's the depth of my community? And, and typically, if you have shallow community, you don't have a lot of people in your life that you can just call up and hang out with. You're only comfortable being with people if it's kind of a, a very safe and produced setting where you know you're going to go be the best version of yourself and they're going to be the best version of themselves. If you're in shallow community, you probably don't have a lot of friends that you can just show up on their doorstep, right? That you can just knock on the door and walk. Or some of you, you don't, you know, if if you really have deep community, you eventually get to that point in friendship where you don't even knock on the door anymore. You just walk in, right? Now, if you do that the first time you go to someone's house, that doesn't mean you have deep community. That means you lack social skills. 
So please knock. You come to my house, please knock. Uh, like there will come a point, but just let's avoid the awkwardness. Please knock. My door will be locked anyways. It's fine. But, uh, you know, you just, there's, there's that point of, you know, you know the people in your life. Angie and I joke of we have, we have acquaintances, we have friends, we have close friends, we have dear friends, and then we have messy house friends. And you know what your messy house friends are. Those are your people who are really with you. Those are the people that like, hey, we're coming over. You're like, great. Not even picking up the kids' underwear out of the floor. Like not even putting the dishes away, not making any effort. You know exactly who we are. Just come in. Not that that's laying around at our house. I don't want to give you that picture. But anyways, you, you, know what that, you know what that is. And yet what the enemy does is he comes and tries to convince you that because you're always busy with a lot of different people in a lot of different places, that you have real deep relationships. But if there's nobody, if your list of who can I call in the middle of the night to make a couple hour drive and help me out of a jam, if your list is just one or two people or none, you're probably living in shallow community. The other warning of shallow community is if you're living in shallow community, it, it often accompanies a shallow relationship with Jesus. Because the deeper you walk with Jesus, the more you will be drawn into community with other believers. And so if you're standing on the outside looking in thinking, I don't know that I want deep community with them, my warning to you would be it might not be because you're super spiritual and so much closer to Jesus than everyone else. But it might be that in the same way most of your, your other relationships are at the surface level, your relationship with Jesus is hanging out there as well. But again, the enemy, he's not scared of shallow community because shallow community runs away when life gets hard. Shallow community always assumes that there's someone else to walk with you through your darkest hours. Shallow community always gives you the excuse of, well, I don't know them that well, so I don't need to enter into that problem with them. If the enemy can keep you occupied in shallow community, he has no fear that you'll discover the life-giving power of Christ-centered community. And then the next way the enemy will deceive us is with temporary community. So again, you've got temporary communities in your life, and, and there's no problem with those. So think of the friendships, the relationships, the places where your connection to other people is built around something that is not going to be a permanent part of your life. So this could be, it could be something as simple as the gym you belong to, right? Like, like you're going and you're making friends, but, but we all know, like, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone that was a 75-year member of the same gym. I've never met anyone whose kid went to the same elementary school for 15 years. I mean, I hope not. Like, <laughs> pray for that child if so. But, but what happens is sometimes these temporary communities, they have such a strong appeal for us that we do go all in. We do feel strong connection with others. We are centered around a common goal. So it could be the elementary school your kids go to and you're all in as PTA mom, as homeroom dad. You're there so much people think you actually work there. But one day your kids leave. And when they leave, the community often leaves with them. It could be your job, right, where you are all in and you're invested at work and you're working on meaningful projects with other people. And yet there will come a day when you will quit, they, were, they will quit, or somebody will retire. And in the middle of temporary community, you're always convinced it's permanent. And yet this is where kind of the, the Christ-centered community that we're in can add some wisdom to our life. If, if you're in a spot where you think the current temporary circumstances of my life are always going to be here and these people are always going to love me because we're always going to be centered on these things, just spend some time talking to people who are a couple of decades down the road farther than you. 
Talk to some of our men and women who've retired in the last five to ten years and ask them how close their relationships are with those people that they worked with. And what you'll find is when the job ended, the distance increased. Right? When you're in college, it's tempting to think the only community I need are my dorm mates or the people I live with, the people I'm in class with. And then just walk around the room and, and ask people after service this morning, how many people from college are still your closest buddies? And there's a few. But most of us move on, and as we move on, those temporary circumstances that created such strong bonds begin to fade away, and the relationships fade away with them. Now, it doesn't mean those are bad. It just means they're not the fullness of community that Jesus intended for us to experience. And so if all of your life and all of your relationships are built off of temporary circumstances, temporary projects, your place on a team, your part in this production, your role as a student, your role as a parent, whatever it is you're, you, that you live in this neighborhood, that you travel with these people, whatever it is, if it's temporary, it will fade. And oftentimes when the circumstances fade, the relationships fade with them. Now, again, there's nothing wrong. Like we could all evaluate. I've got lots of temporary communities in my life right now, and those are fine as long as I don't let them replace the Christ-centered community that serves as a foundation of my life. And if they're auxiliary and secondary, they're fine, and they actually provide a wonderful opportunity for me to introduce others into Christ-centered community. But what the enemy will do is come and, again, just convince you of, hey, you've got this temporary community here, and then you've got this one here, and, and eventually you'll have three, four, five of those that are running at the same time. And so you come to church, and you hear that you were created for community, and in your mind you think, I got it. I've got it all around. And, and so what I want you to hear today and over the coming weeks is you weren't just created for community. You were created for Christ-centered community. And there's a difference between being with people built on common interests, hobbies, and activities and living in relationship with people based off your common experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. One is fine and fun, but will not sustain you. The other one will carry you through your greatest triumphs and your darkest hours. So we've, we've got shallow community, we've got temporary community. The, the last thing that I think some of us can fall into is transactional community. You know, where, where just all of your life is kind of designed around achieving a certain goal. So, so you could see this where maybe you're in high school or college and, and all of your relationships are built off of others helping you achieve your dream. Maybe that's to finish college. Maybe that's to get into a certain school. Maybe it's to get a certain job. And, and you're just, everybody you interact with, you're using them to push you and propel you in that direction. Maybe you're a little older and, and you're in the, the workforce and all of your relationships are client, customer, employee, employer type relationships. And again, because in those settings, we are typically united around common goals. We spend a significant amount of time together. It feels like real community. It feels like the thing that we were created for. And yet, especially if, if you're in the position today where most of your community is people who in some way or another depend on you for a paycheck, you're not experiencing authentic community. One of my favorite parts of Christ-centered community that I've seen play out at Christian Chapel over the, the 17 years that we've been here is watching as wildly successful men and women who have achieved things in their careers, in their lives, in their relationships that, that I could only dream about. Watching them enter into home groups, into small group settings, sitting in discipleship groups on Wednesday night, submitting themselves to the community of believers. 
inviting others to pray with them for wisdom. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had men and women from Christian chapel who are so much smarter than me ask me to pray for them for wisdom about situations I don't understand, right? Like I've got this engineering problem at work and I'm like, I will pray for you, but I'm probably gonna have to pray in the spirit because I don't know what you're talking about. Like none of it makes sense. I can't, that, yes, I will pray that the plant doesn't blow up. I will pray that the product succeeds. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll pray for you. But what are they doing in that season, that situation? They're saying, hey, even though you don't know what I'm talking about, even though you might not be at my level intellectually or economically, I believe you are my brother and sister in Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And I don't need more business advice. I don't need more consulting advice. I need to know that the power of Christ is with me at work, helping me discern path in this situation. But when you live in transactional community, you can never get that level of honesty. Because when you're the one who signs the paycheck, nobody's going to speak truthfully to you. They're not going to call out the things in you that they see that are odds with the scriptures or go against the work of the spirit. Because their life depends on your approval. But again, it's easy for us to fall in this trap and just say, no, 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 I've, I've got all my clients. I've got all of my team that I've built. I've got all these people. We're, we're pursuing a common objective. We even pray together. We have Bible studies. We, you know, that, that's all great. That's all wonderful. And yet, if it's transactional at its core, it's just a cheap imitation of Christ-centered community. Now, now again, all three of these things, there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful in them. And so if you look at your life and think, I've got some shallow community, I've got some temporary community, I've got some transactional community, I would just tell you, that's fine. I do too. We all do. The challenge is not believing that these imitation forms of community replace Christ-centered community in our life. And so, so how do you do that? Well, there's not necessarily like a, a checklist for you to evaluate every day. The, the scriptures don't give us like, here's five ways to avoid shallow community. Here's seven ways to avoid. They don't do that. But what they do is they give us a bright picture of what Christ-centered community looks like. They invite us into it. And then the scriptures have the belief that when you experience the real thing, you won't fall for the imitations. You won't give in to the temptations of these cheaper forms of community. And you can think of this in your own life, right? There are areas of your life where you might have friends or family who embrace imitations, but you've had the real thing and you're never going back, right? Like, like I am, I'm never falling for vegan bacon. Just, just never going to do it. You can't tell me it tastes the same. You can't tell me it looks the same. You can't tell me it cooks the same. You can't tell me it gives that wonderful aroma that lasts for two days in my house the same. You can't do any of that. And the reason I'm not going to fall for it is not because I had bacon one time. It's because I have bacon all the time. And with the amount of it that I eat, it's probably bad for my heart, but it's very good for my ability to discern the real from the fake. So I'm just not falling for it. Now, some of you, you haven't had bacon in 10 years and you can easily, somebody brings you this dog treat vegan bacon and you'll kind of chomp on it and be like, yeah, I think it's close to the real thing. It's not, it's just been so long since you've had the real thing, you fell for it. All right, we do the same thing in community. I got, I've got a buddy who is, is super into to muscle cars and he's super into muscle cars, especially with loud exhaust. And his, uh, one of his guiding principles in life, in this small area of his life, is that if a car is not loud, it's not worth anything. 
And so I, I love to tease him about, you know, I see all these new like electric supercars that start coming out. And, and so I'll send them to him at times of like, hey, watch this. This car can beat that car that you love. And, and his response every time is, it doesn't count. It doesn't make noise. If it doesn't rumble, it's not a real car. And so I was so excited a few weeks ago, I saw a video of one of these new electric sports cars and they had built in uh, the feel or at least the sound of a muscle car. And as you drove the electric car, that, that muffler, that just deep rumble, it played through the speakers in the car. And so I thought, I've got it. I've nailed him. It's faster than the car he loves. It has the sound. And so we, we watched it together and, and he about lost his mind. That is absolute garbage. There's no way a sound in the speakers can create, your, your car's not going to rumble. You're not going to feel that. Your neighbors aren't going to yell at you. You know, he had all of these reasons and more. And why? Because he was so in love with the real thing. There was no imitation that was ever going to come anywhere close to it. And so if you find yourself giving into the appeal of imitation community, my message to you today is not get out of all of those. My message to you is plug yourself into Christ-centered community. Begin to experience the life-changing power of relationships built on Jesus Christ. Begin to learn what it means to worship together, to serve together, to pray together, to rejoice together, to mourn together. Begin to learn what it means to carry the burdens that others have and to allow them to carry yours. And as you dive into Christ-centered community, you will never again fall for cheap imitations. You'll be able to engage. You'll be able to lock in. You can serve in all of these other spaces, but you're never going to believe the lie that community without Christ is what you were created for. And just in case you still think that's great, but it's probably not for me, I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 2 and share with you four promises Paul gives us of Christ-centered community. Ephesians 2, verse 19, he says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So four things, real, real quick, we'll finish up and then we're going to sign up for home groups and, and it's going to be a, a great day for us. First thing Paul tells us in verse uh, 19 is you are no longer foreigners and strangers. What's he saying? He says, you belong here. You were made for Christ-centered community. And now, now different local churches, sometimes it's, it can feel easy. It can feel difficult to feel like you're part of the community, to feel like you're, you're really kind of fitting in, to feel like you're building relationships, to move past shallow community to where you're really known and other people know you. And, it, and so it can be easy at times to begin to kind of take your first few steps into Christ-centered community and yet always feel like you're kind of on the outside. Or you feel like there are concentric circles to a local church or to community. And, and there's the people who are new and the people who've been here a little while. And then the people who've been here a long time. And then the people who might have actually been born in the sanctuary. Right? And, and, and you just feel like there's always this. But Paul, what Paul's telling us here is, look, in Christian community, there are two categories of people. Those who are outside of it and those who are inside of it. And if you're inside Christian community, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a full participant here. You are no longer a foreigner or a stranger. 
You belong here with us. And and so what does this mean for us? It means the call to Christian community is not reserved for longtime church members. It's reserved for every single person who has surrendered their life to Jesus. Now, practically, we understand that if I've known you for 20 years, I probably know you a little bit better than somebody I've known for 20 days. But if you've been here 20 days, it doesn't mean that you have to somehow earn your way in to some kind of inner circle. Right? If I could just tell you very plainly, there is no inner circle at Christian Chapel. Right? There are no inner circles. There should be no inner circles in the local church. Now, there are circles of close and deep relationship. There are circles of people who've known and walked with each other a long time. But the fact that they have that relationship does not mean you are excluded from it. It means you now, as part of this community, whether you've been here 20 days, 20 months, or 20 years, have a responsibility to understand I am no longer a foreigner or a stranger. This is where God has not just called me, it's where he's placed me and planted me. And so now my job is to take my full place in this Christian community. And so I've got to invest my time. I've got to invest my energy. I've got to invest my resources to build these relationships. And it means that anytime you're in the position of I'm the one who's been here a long time, we always keep the doors open for whoever God is bringing to us next. This is what Paul tells us. He also goes on to tell us you belong with others here. He says you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So two pictures that Paul gives us. First of all, he says, when you're brought into the kingdom, you are fellow citizens. We all live together under the authority of Christ. Christ Christ-centered community is a community where he is the head and he is the final say in everything. Where we submit to the authority of the scriptures and we submit to his power and his presence in our life. Where we remember the thing that brought us in was not our good works, but his finished work. It wasn't that I somehow perfected my way in. It was that Jesus was perfect for me and opened the door and welcomed me in. And so now anyone who says yes to Jesus, they are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God with you and I. Regardless of anything else in life that separates us, we are now citizens of God's kingdom. Now, as as citizens, if he left it there, there would be a little wiggle room for some pretty casual relationships. Well, I'm just a citizen. And as citizens of the United States, we know we have all kinds of other citizens in the country that we don't necessarily want anything to do with. We don't really agree with them on anything. We don't want to talk to them about anything. We just all happen to be born in the same place. And and to avoid that, Paul pushes just a little bit farther and tells us you are not just citizens, but you are also members of his household. And you can have citizenship community that's kind of broad and, and spread out. But if you're going to be in a household together, That means you're intended to view yourself as a son or a daughter of God. And you're intended to view other believers as your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are intended to live together. You're intended to work together. You're intended to know each other and be known by each other. The household, it, it makes the relationships close. It makes them personal. It means that I don't just know your name and your face and one thing about your job or your family, but I know some of the deepest things in your heart. I can celebrate your greatest successes and I can mourn your deepest struggles. This is what it means to be brought in. When we're brought in, we're not just brought to Christ. We are brought to each other. And then Paul tells us in verse 20 that this community is one where we're secure. He says, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So, so the, the difference between Christ-centered community and shallow community or temporary community or transactional community, the main difference is the security of Christian community. All of those other ones are going to fade away because something in your life changes, something in someone else's life changes, something in, in culture or society changes. But Christian community always endures. Later this fall, I'm going to have the opportunity to, to travel to Burundi and visit some of the pastors that we've built churches for. And when I go, I, I've never been there before, but I know what I'm going to observe. I'm going to observe Christian community. I'm going to observe people from different backgrounds who've been united in Christ. I'm going to observe rich and poor, educated and uneducated. I'm going to view people from different political parties who have set that aside in a nation that has recently been torn apart by a civil war within the lifetime of many of its church members. I'm going to find people who are on opposite sides of that who have now been united in Christ. Why? Because the foundation is secure. Because they're not built on political preferences. They're not built on what team they cheer for. It's not built on how old are your kids, where do you work out, or how much money do you make. It's not built on your education level. It's not built on your entertainment preferences. It's not built on anything except the, the prophets, the apostles, and the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And a community that's built on that survives everything the enemy can throw at it. And so you can travel around the world. You can read through the pages of history. And when the world is good, when the world is bad, when it's dark and ugly, when it's bright and happy in every season, in every nation, among every people group where the church is planted, the church endures because the foundation runs deeper than anything the world can throw at us. And so if, if you're here this morning, you think, man, I, I want that, but I just don't know that it's for me right now. My life is too chaotic. My situation is too difficult. I want you to hear what Paul is telling us of, hey, you're secure here, not because of you and not because of me. You're secure because this community is built on the foundation of the prophets, the apostles, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's what brought us together. He's what builds us together, and he's what keeps us together. And then Paul tells us that the last promise of Christ-centered community is the Spirit keeps us here. Ephesians 2, verse 22, he says, In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. It's this beautiful promise. Christ-centered community is not some dry, dusty experience of just kind of a, hey, we all agree to some theological principles, and now we try to work everything out. But Christ-centered community is always supposed to be vibrant. It's supposed to be living. It's supposed to be active. It's supposed to bring light and life to our hearts and minds. It's supposed to bring joy to your soul. It's supposed to sustain you in your darkest hours, and it's supposed to keep you grounded in your greatest triumphs. And the way that happens is not just from a few words on a page. It's not just about stories of what Jesus did a long time ago, but it's through the ongoing and active work of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Christ-centered community is spirit-empowered community. Christ-centered community is where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation and where the fruit of the Spirit is producing an abundant harvest. Christ-centered community is where the Holy Spirit dwells in you 
and speaks through you to me. Christ-centered community is where the Holy Spirit comes and brings the scripture to life. Christ-centered community is where the Holy Spirit convicts when I'm giving my time, my energy, my attention to these imitation forms of community. Christ-centered community is where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to be part of his presence, to speak his words, and to take his action in the life of other believers. And when I do that and you do that, we are built together to shine like a city on the hill, to be a community that is attractive to a world lost in darkness, to be a community that runs deeper than all the shallow communities we give our time to, to be a community that lasts longer than any temporary experience we've ever had, and to be a community that has a greater payoff and payout than any transactional community we're tempted to give our time and energy to. Spirit-empowered community is what brings life, energy, vitality to Christ-centered community. And so when you sign up for a home group, you're not just signing up to go hang out in somebody's house and eat a good meal and pray a short prayer. You're signing up to be part of a small group of people where the Holy Spirit of God is active and at work to bind your hearts to him and each other. You're signing up to be part of a group where you're gonna carry the burdens of other people and they're gonna carry yours. You're signing up to, to, to submit yourself to God's plan for your life. You're signing up knowing that a home group isn't the fullness of Christian community, but it's one way I can take a step in the direction from the path that God has laid out for me. My encouragement to you today is Christ has made you for community and he's going to empower you to experience it. But it is on you to take those first steps. It is on you to pause and evaluate your life and to see are my primary commitments in shallow, temporary, transactional communities that cannot bring the light life and the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus intends for me to experience in my relationships with other believers. Will you stand with me? I wanna pray for us. The band's gonna come back and lead us in a final song. Jesus, we come to you today and we are thankful that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. Lord, if there are those in the room or online who've not yet surrendered their lives to you, I pray today that they would feel that conviction of your Holy Spirit. They would hear your invitation to surrender their lives and they would take their place as your sons and your daughters. And Lord, for the rest of us, we invite your spirit to come now and evaluate our hearts and evaluate our schedules. Will you show us, Lord, where we are or are not experiencing the, the kind of Christ-centered community that you intend for us? And will your spirit speak clearly to us about the changes we need to make or the actions we need to take to live in community as you have called and created us for? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.